The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. My name is Nathan Saunders, and I am the Associate Director of Randall Library down at UNC Wilmington. And um, my particular area involves special collections, archives, government documents, art, anything that is uh, a little outside the norm in a library. So not your general collection, but anything that might fall outside of that. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, But first, I just was struck by something uh, in church last Sunday as my own pastor was preaching through Exodus, and something that I just had never really paid any attention before. In Exodus um, chapter 17, um, it's the story of the Israelites finding the Amalekites on their way out of Egypt. And it's the story that we often pay attention to because Moses was supposed to stand there uh, with his hands held high, and Aaron and her had to stand there to support him. And so we often focus on that aspect of the story, but there's something interesting that I just never really paid attention to. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial. So after the battle, God is talking to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Thou will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will get, have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And that's one of the many instances, especially in the Old Testament, where you see reference to God telling his people to write something down or that something is written in a book somewhere. Um, and so, for example, in Numbers chapter uh, 21, verse 14, I believe, it says, Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Waheb and Sufa and the valleys of Arnon and the slope of the valleys that extends to the seat of Ar and, the lean, and leans to the border of Moab. So there's a reference to a book that's written. You see it again all throughout, for example, Kings, references to the Chronicles of the Kings. And then, of course, uh, there's a very famous story in the book of Esther where um, the emperor can't sleep at night. And so in order to get himself to sleep, he asks for history to, be, uh, to become to read to him. And, of course, this is the story of Mordecai saving his life. Now, history should not put you to sleep at night. It should keep you awake, riveted, and that is what it should do. But for, you know, the emperor, it was one thing that got him to sleep. And then, of course, we have people like Luke writing in the New Testament, talking about wanting to build a story on consulting people who were there, building this this gospel um, in order to help Theophilus understand who this person Jesus was. And so the thing that strikes me is just how historical our faith is, not in the fact that it's past and has um, limited application to today, but because we have a God who acts in history. We have a God who um, reveals himself to us through real people in time. And we can see his work in history. We see his revelation in the great story of Scripture. Even though it's not all narrative, it all tells a story um, about God's past actions and his future actions and his current actions on our behalf. I was also thinking um, not only about um, God's revelation in the Bible of his actions and his progression in history. But think about my own life. Um, I was talking to my parents this past week and thinking about growing up in the church that I grew up in. And uh, I think about the Sunday school teachers I had. And I think about the church that um, planted the church that I grew up in. And I don't know who planted that church in Greenville, South Carolina, that then planted that church, another church in Greenville, South Carolina that I went to. And I certainly don't know the churches that go beyond that. But when you think about that, it's a wonderful testament to God's promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. 
and that there's a history to all of our congregations, there's a history of people who made what we might think of as very, very mundane contributions to the unfolding of God's story in our lives, but they were important nonetheless. Like I said, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, deacons, preachers, um, people who were there in times of sickness, who were there to teach us, um, people who have affected our lives, whether we um, think of them often or we just think of them during those certain times. But these are wonderful things that can strengthen our faith. Uh, I've got a boy who's four and a girl who's nine. We love to read them stories of the saints of old, people who stood strong for the faith um, in order to strengthen them. And um, so I praise God for history. I praise God for the wonderful things that he's recorded in his word and wonderful things that he's taught us individually in our own churches growing up. Um, so I just want to set the tone about the importance of, of preserving your history and thinking about God's wonderful faithfulness um, in your own individual life, but also in your community. Um, that's one thing that I think we often overlook but becomes very evident. I was driving through a little town, I think Coates, North Carolina. I don't know. I'm on my way here. And um, maybe it was Lillington. It was Lillington that said, um, visit our churches on, on Sunday. I can't imagine a sign being erected like that in 2019. But that sign was a very old sign, and it was just a testament, again, to the importance of churches to a community um, that we don't want to lose. So let's go ahead and pray. And we'll go around the room, maybe. Folks can introduce themselves. We can um, Then if you have any specific questions we can talk about, I've got some things to present and think about. Uh, but it's a small group, so that's good. We can have a conversation, even though, like I was saying earlier, this looks like a room set up for a corporate takeover um, <laughs> where we're, we're here to um, do serious business, but... Um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, then we'll get started. Father, I thank you um, as I think about uh, your work in history, as I think about uh, your work in biblical history, but not just that, uh, in my own life and the lives of everybody here, uh, your faithfulness. Um, and I pray that we would think about that and remember it as we um, seek all of us in our home churches uh, to see that history preserved to tell our children and other future generations about your faithfulness in our churches and in our communities. Um, So, Father, guide us today, guide our discussion, give us wisdom as we think about some issues, and help us to walk away encouraged, help us to walk away uh, perhaps even with a a plan moving forward to have to see that done. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you in your church have one of these? A history of your church. This is actually the church that Alan grew up in. Um, the Centennial Chronicle Southside Baptist Church in Wilmington. How many of you have a, like a written church history like that? How old is it, would you say? The church or the, the church history. Church history goes back to 1891. Okay. And when the, when the church was written, when the church history was written, when would you say that was? Sure. I know we have like a minutes, deacon, like minutes from church meetings going back, you know, probably 100 years. Oh, wow. But it's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we have a little, a little book like that. It's part of the Yeah. And so the, the, it's good that there are some that are written down, but also encouraging that there's still work for people to do who are interested in it, um, who can really sit down and dig into it. And so the first question I have is, what are archives and special collections? And they're basically things like you just described. These are deacons meeting minutes. And it's so impressive they kept minutes. I'm very glad they kept minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that go back many, many Years, um, in some cases, they are church business meeting minutes. They are um, minutes of WMU, the Sunday School uh, Committee minutes. Any committee, any special event, uh, there can be photographs of these things. Church bulletins are also great. 
I love church bulletins because oftentimes it's maybe the only place that has a long-term um, record of what text was preached on what Sunday. Did the pastor go through a book of the Bible? Did he preach topically? Did he break from form after a significant historical event? For example, did he pre- what topic did that pastor preach on after 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or things like this? These are, are fun things to, to really dig into. So these are not, of course, things that you can find in any old library. There are things that are unique to your church. And that's really the answer to the question, what are archives and special collections? These are things that are unique to your church. And it's great because it's unique to you, but it's also daunting because... These are things that it's that no one else is going to keep if if you don't. Um, and there are many many stories of people deciding to clean out a closet, not really asking any questions, throwing away centuries. It's actually that's probably exaggeration. Decades of church history um, by doing that. Um, and this was not an example of something being thrown away. But there's a church in Wilmington on Market Street called Pearsall Memorial. And we were excited, not excited to see it close, obviously, but excited that, at the possibility of getting their papers because we have the collection at UNCW of the Pearsall family, the founder of the church. We had the papers, uh, the sermon text from a longtime pastor. And when we went to go talk to them about getting those records of this sort of historic Wilmington church, they said, well, we've already promised those to the Presbyterian Historical Society in Philadelphia. So great. They're being preserved. Happy about that. But there were a lot of people in Wilmington who wanted them to stay stay local. They had a lot of other stuff they were going to throw away. And I said, can I please take a look at that? And they said, sure. And it was a whole run of church newsletters. It was a whole run of bulletins. It was um, the whole all the records of the Presbyterian sort of WMU um, group. And that stuff was very valuable and really helpful. And so... Um, that's the great responsibility that a lot of local churches have, but also um, a, a great goldmine of, uh, of materials. Um, does anybody have at your church like a closet <laughs> or a, um, I don't know, junk room? Junk room, yeah. <laughs> where, where, so where's your where's your stuff kept? You would say. I think it's I think it's in a storage room where everything gets kind of piled up. Yeah. Old decorations and. Gotcha. Is it boxed, you would say? Yeah. Filing cabinet? I've, I've heard that they're in boxes. Okay. That's a, that's a step. At least they're not loose. So that's good. I don't think that they are. Okay. <laughs> what about your, your church? Recently, I would say it's been put in a file cabinet. Okay. Good step. And now we're trying to go through it. Mm-hmm. But you had not started yet. Yeah. <laughs> supposed to be. Um, and trying to condense some of it, the side which is important, which is not. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's your name, sir? Jimmy Huffman. Jimmy Huffman. Yeah. And where are you, where are you from? Uh, I'm uh, from Ashboro. I'm director at Caraway Conference Center. Okay. Great. And, uh, we're trying to preserve some history. Yeah. I'm sure you got lots of records for your organization as well. You'd think. Uh, but <laughs> uh, not as much. All right. What kind of condition would you say it's in? Like, where is it housed? Or uh, It's in a big tub in my office. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least you know where it is. Well, good. <laughs> well, at my church, um, we actually just have this really big, thick scrapbook where they've saved clippings from newspapers or uh, flyers or church bulletins. And I actually hope to look through it pretty soon because the church is 103 years old. Right? Yeah. And nobody's put anything together. And so I told them I'm, you know, I may be interested in seeing if I could do it or not. Right. That's great. What about First Baptist Durham? 
Yeah, they actually have a room about the about a fourth of the size of this dedicated to historical records. Great. Which was impressive when I first saw that. And then when I went in there, it just looked like a tornado had gone through. Right. There are filing cabinets, and most things are in filing cabinets, but shelves are a mess, and then there, it's kind of a pseudo storage room as well. And you have to get through the, you know, past the things put in storage to get, actually get to the historical artifacts. Right. Well, I know we have a file cabinet that has a lot of stuff in it, and I think other people have other little uh, membership books or. Uh, other books kind of keep track of business meeting minutes that are in their homes, but we got a file kind at the church with some of the old stuff. Right. Well, Keith, what about it? Centerville? Um, much like uh, Brother down here, we've got uh, several scrapbooks. Somebody who has gone to be with the Lord took time to go through all the previous <laughs> records, keep a bunch of that stuff together, but also kept newspaper clippings from like when our new building was built back in 2002 and all the articles that were written before that and after that because. We're a small town, and building a building newsworthy. Um, and so it, it's all um, mostly kept in those, um, either that or in binders. Okay. Are you from Centerville? I mean, you Centerville or Centerville? Centerville. Okay. So you're not too far from the Lewis American where I am either, No, I'm a fair piece from you. I'm uh, in Bladen County. Oh, okay. I got a different Centerville. Way different. <laughs> There's a Centerville near us. <laughs> I forgot to mention too that we keep a photograph of yearly of all special events. Okay. At baptisms and things. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, So the the good news is that anything is better than nothing. Any step forward is better than staying put. Um, And and we even think about that. We have um, sort of everything as we would say we want it in an archive. So if it's not in if it's sort of in a box or in a box in bad condition, getting into a filing cabinet or some other storage is better than just leaving it as it is. Getting it organized, like you were mentioning at your church at Eureka, is better than, than leaving it in a state. Things don't get lost when you get them organized. Um, or they get lost less. I shouldn't say they don't get lost. Um, but it's much easier to keep track of things when they're organized. So doing, taking that step is often just the, the, the best thing you can, you can do. Instead of getting daunted by the big, huge picture, thinking, all right, what can I do this month to get these in order? There are certain conditions that we like to have for special collections and archives. Special collections and archives, the, the missions of most of them is to um, acquire, preserve, and, get, and provide access to materials. So we'll talk about acquisition later, but preserving them um, keeping them in not humid and relative temperate you know, conditions. So, for example, 70 degrees, which is kind of cool for most people um, who, are, um, who, do, who are trying to work with material, but relative humidity around 40%. Now, we all live in North Carolina where 70 degrees and 40% humidity would be wonderful. We get that naturally like about two months out of the year, you're looking at like April and October, or, some, or March and October or something like that. And so um, sometimes a lot of these closets, unfortunately, don't have uh, circulating air systems, don't have ductwork in them. And so if you can possibly remove it from a closet and get it somewhere that does have a circulating uh, air system, it's better than leaving it in a somewhere that could get up to 85, 90 degrees in the summertime. Mold is going to start growing if there's about 70% humidity, about 80 degrees. If there's mold spores are present, 70% humidity, 80 degrees, that's when it's going to start proliferating. 
Um, so keeping it more where, where your people are going to be gathering, where you're more likely to keep the air moving, where you're more likely to keep air conditioning running, more likely to keep a steady temperature, um, those things uh, can be a step in the right direction. Again, there's no need to get a separate HVAC system or anything like that. It's just l- taking that one step of getting it to somewhere that might be a little more um, accessible to your, a- your, your AC. Um, trying to keep things in low light. Um, sometimes at the library we have things donated and the request is to put it on permanent display. And we always say, well, you don't want us to do that. Because the more light hits it over the course of decades, the more it's likely it is to really start to deteriorate. Um, so things that are put on display for very long periods of time um, are going to be problematic in terms of fading, um, in terms of just the brit- brittle paper. Some papers were brittle than others. During the 1940s, 1950s, there was a lot of very brittle paper out there. A lot of times our churches really started keeping records, 30s, 40s, 50s. That is on some of the most brittle paper. And having that exposed to sunlight all the time, UV light, is going to be, be really bad for it. Um, if you want to take the step of buying uh, products, uh, acid-free folders, acid-free boxes for your materials, you can certainly do that. I've listed some companies here that do that sort of work. Um, However, this is not an endorsement of them. I'm not trying to, to, to plug anybody, but these are just companies I've worked with in the past. And they have a variety of sizes of boxes. So, for example, if you've got a large panoramic photograph of your congregation or something like that, they've got boxes for you. If you've got maps, plats of your property, they've got boxes that can fit that. If you've got um, normal files in a file box, they've got materials for that and acid-free folders. Acid-free being important because they do tend to, um, the acid from any container you put it in can also deteriorate the paper. But, again, you don't necessarily have to go all that far, depending on where you are. Just take that one step forward, um, and it can make a huge difference in preserving your documents for for decades more than perhaps leaving them in their current state. Any questions on any of that? So low light, temperate climate, Getting them organized in acid-free containers, yeah. Probably dumb question, but is there any real advantage to laminating things? I would not ever laminate anything. Really? Yeah. Um, the, the chemicals in lamination, first of all, is irreversible. And the chemicals in lamination and the lamination process can actually hasten the destruction of, of items. Um, so the paper left to itself, even paper from the 30s and 40s, is going to last a whole lot longer than something that's laminated. It might be pr- uh, protected from being torn, um, and somebody using it, the laminate, the chemicals in lamination can really destroy papers because it will start deteriorating. It'll start powdering up. Um, this is a big put, the big news story, actually. I say big news story. In my world, it's a big news story, like uh, about three or four years ago, because there have been several historic documents at state archives that have been laminated. Because when lamination first came out, people thought, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And now they're really in danger. And, um, there are very expensive processes that can perhaps arrest some of that damage, but um, even they don't work all the time. So I would not laminate anything. Does that does that help? Okay. Yeah, I, I would assume like a lot of people, I would want to take a material out of scrapbook and start laminating everything. Yeah. What I, what I will say you can do is if you have a scanner, is go ahead and start scanning some of these things. Um, if you want to make sure that you maintain, you can preserve the physical item, but if you just want to maintain the information as well, and if you have a scanner, you can start scanning them. Um, not, what did you say? Yeah. Um, 
there are two, and I didn't put this on here uh, because I, I thought about it a little too late. There are two file types in which you can scan something. Um, sort of the archival standard is what's called a TIFF file. And any scanner you use is going to ask you how you want to save the file. You can save it as a TIFF file. And then you can also save another copy as what's called a JPEG. So yeah, go ahead and scan all you want. Um, the light from the scanner, that one pass-through is not going to harm it enough to do any real damage. And then you've always got that copy. If people want to see something, you can show them that image file. You don't ever have to run it through a copy machine again. You don't have to ever run it through a scanner again. So absolutely, scan, scan your heart out. Um, and that's what I was talking to Dustin at Southeastern. They do, they do a lot of scanning. We do a lot of scanning at, um, at UNCW of historic documents um, for access purposes, but also it's nice just to say you don't need to access this historic document. Here you access this online and gets you all the information you need. The other question that comes up related to that is do people have to wear gloves when they touch things? And we generally say no because it's, it's actually more likely that a, that a nick on a piece of paper will catch on a cloth glove than on your actual fingers. And we've seen more tears I say, say we both at UNCW and just in the profession at large have seen more tears happen through gloves than actual preservation. Photographs are sort of the exception to that because the oil from your fingers can, um, can damage, especially really old photographs. But yeah, absolutely, scan, scan your heart out. I'm not the most um, technologically advanced person, but when scanning these documents, is there a way when you do this to um, index them in some mm -hmm. way? Or, okay. So you can save them in a file. You can just do like you would any other document. So you can name, yeah, have a file on your computer. Oh, okay. I, I'm not, I've not scanned. Oh, no, it's fine. You can just have a... Lots of stuff, but I've not scanned. Yeah, no, you can just have a file on your computer that says scrapbook 1962, you and all the scans go in there and... And that's a way that you can have it uh, so and organized. I'm assuming you scan it to a where wherever is most convenient for you. So scan it to the hard drive on your computer. Scan it to um, a CD if you want to make sure that you have a backup copy in case the hard drive fails. Uh, it's good to keep two copies of things. Thumb drive. Or you can scan it to a thumb drive. Yeah, as long as long as there are like multiple copies of it. So you scan, you scan it to a thumb drive. Scan it to a CD. Scan it to the hard drive. Um, and preserve your original. So, yeah. Um, I did want to point out, as if you're interested in writing a history like this, and I would encourage you to write one because there is a $500 prize, apparently, from the Historic Commission <laughs> for writing your church's history. And in the last three years, the last couple of years, we haven't been able to award any at all because no one has turned in anything. Hmm. So we would love to give that money away. Yes, you too could win $500. Um, in the last three years, so the next one will be it is not rollover. It is not part of that. Uh, if we exceed CP giving kind of stuff, not that it's coming from CP, CP dollars anyway. But that's really interesting because as many churches there are in, here, in this room alone that are over a hundred years, mine's a baby compared to, to theirs, and yeah, it's surprising. So, um, if you want to write using your own materials. Um, I wanted to point you to also some online resources that might be helpful as you attempt to gain context. Because one of the things that I think we miss is we have our own records in our churches, but also our churches end up being named in old newspapers frequently. So a special guest preacher. Oftentimes on the Sunday papers, a special section for, for various churches. 
And so I wanted to point you to a couple of a few online resources that you got to be careful with because you just go down this rabbit hole and it'll be a lot of fun as you as you start researching history. One of the big ones is called digitalnc.org, and it's listed right here in the number three. They have 13 historic Baptist newspapers in there. Most of these were originals are at Wake Forest, and they've scanned them. And I found a couple that I thought were really funny, were just at least interesting. Um, one is from Henderson, North Carolina, up in Vance County, uh, not far from you two. So um, it is uh, about Sunday school. And it's a Sunday school paper. And some of these papers were just really ephemeral. They just appeared for a couple of issues and then went away. They may have been longer runs of them, but we only have one or two copies. But it says, people generally, this is uh, from 1886. Mm. People generally do not care to take an interest in any church enterprise that has not the countenance and support of the leading members of the church itself. This is entirely natural and as true of Sunday schools as in any other department of Christian labor. We appreciate the fact that so full, that so fully that we deem it worth our while to mention that the members of the Baptist Church in Henderson recognize the value of their Sunday school work. Every official member of the church but one, Deacon Phipps, who resides some distance in the country, is deeply interested and active in this work. <laughs> Name him. Name And we trust that our dear brother, Phipps, will, notwithstanding his inconvenient location, soon find himself able to share our labors. Um, so just right out there in the paper, calling out Deacon Phipps, um, saying, we understand he lives a long way away. But. but that's no excuse for him not to be supportive of the Sunday school. You want to look at Deacon Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to, that Baptist church in Henderson to see if Deacon Phipps had anything to say. Um, this, is, this is another one from the Baptist worker of Gastonia. Um, this, this, so again, this, these newspapers are on digital NC. The salaries of the clergy of the United States do not average $500 a year. And yet, as a class, they are the best educated, most active, refined, and elevated of the nation. So, stick that in your pipe. That's pretty good. With, with less culture, with less character, with less mental power, there are men all over the land who earn from 1600 to 5000 a year. But look at the results. Taking them as they come, the biographies of 100 clergymen who have families show that of their sons, 110 become ministers. And of the remainder of their sons, by far the largest part of rose to eminence as professional men, merchants, and scholars. So it's, 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 I'm guessing a pastor is the one who runs this newspaper. Do you know what year that is? Um, this is 1900. So, um, and then there was, just to show that some con- controversies never get old. I, I don't have the year for this one, but I, I, if I remember correctly, it's 1906. Um, this is from uh, a Baptist, this is a, a Baptist paper, I believe in Newton, North Carolina, which is um, in Catawba County. It says, I've been silent. This is a letter to the editor. I've been silent for quite a while, enjoying the good things the brethren have been writing, but now the time has come when I want to claim a small space in your wonderful little paper. I noticed in an issue of recent date where Brother Chris of Benfield claimed that I had brought charge against him through the columns of the Baptist concerning the healing powers of Carol Johnson. I know it does seem like there has been enough said on the subject already, but as I have heretofore said, I do believe, according to the New Testament, that Christians should be able to heal by sick prayer through faith. So again, this, this, this controversy is obviously not old. This is something that people are writing letters to the editor, calling each other out in letters to the editor over these issues. This is not a social media phenomenon that we have here. Um, it is something that has happened uh, since there have been Baptist papers. But again, there are 13 different Baptist papers on digital NC alone. Um, all of you, by virtue of the fact that you live in North Carolina and have access to a public library, have access to something called NC Live. Um, if you have a, a library card, which is free um, pretty much everywhere, 
you can sign in using your library card to nclive.org. That has access to all the his, to over a thousand historic newspapers in North Carolina. Not just they're not all uh, most of them are just community newspapers. Coverage got stopped at about 1924. One of the things um, that happened through various twists and turns of the copyright law is that anything now before 1924 is in the public domain. So newspapers, even big newspapers that we would recognize today, Raleigh News and Observer, Charlotte Observer, things like that, their issues before 1924 are in the public domain. So even if your public newspaper is still going strong, and they, um, of course, have copyright over more recent issues, the older stuff is in, is, there's a good shot it's in the historic North Carolina newspapers collection on nclive.org. And just, it's all keyword searchable. You just go, you can type in the name of your church, you can type in the name of a pastor you may have known, maybe you came across something in these deacon minutes about the name of a, of a person. Just type it in and see what shows up. Um, do some searches, do some playing around there. Uh, a third website for historic newspapers is called Chronicling, Chronicling America. And this was actually run by the Library of Congress. And they have about 100 different North Carolina titles, and it's growing all the time. So it actually might be up around 130 now since I last really delved into there. But again, it's going to stop around 1924, uh, but they are going to have some issues later. For example, I saw they had the Wilmington Morning Star uh, during the World War II years, which is um, a bit unique. So that's, that's good to know. Um, there are some things like Tabor City Tribune that go up through the 1960s on Chronicling America, so you might have some coverage of later times. But those are three really solid sites where your church might appear in the local newspaper. Like you were saying, all these small towns, um, you're going to make the news for uh, building a new building or calling a new pastor or something like that. Um, the North Carolina Baptist Church records at Wake Forest, um, those are also digitized. I say those are. There are about 100 churches whose records are digitized there. So just look and see. Uh, what might be there. I looked at a church that my dad attended when he was a boy in Roxborough, um, and it was interesting to see the church records they have there. Um, and again, this is just stuff that's probably in your, in your own records, th- these types of things. This is the pastor's account of what he did um, in December of 1966. 27 visits to homes of the church family, two visits to council with people, 23 visits to the hospital in Durham, five visits made to find... To find no one home. So in other words, I went, I went home that you weren't there. Three funerals attended, five meetings in the association, two visits to the Baptist Board in Raleigh. Worked with the Christmas program. Worked with the young people on student night at Christmas held in our church. Baptized in our church on December 11th, 1966 for the following. And he lists four people. Uh, so he gives a report for what he did in December. Um, another pastor at the same church, this is his resignation letter. And it talks about how he left this church to go plant a church in Chicago. Um, Mill Creek Baptist in, in Roxborough is not Chicago. It's, it's pretty rural. Uh, but to see um, these sorts of records in digital form on Wake Forest Library's website is, is a really wonderful thing. You know, I just like to plug this. If you are doing uh, any research on the history of your church, and you certainly being a Careway, probably going to see some things there as well. Um, I know the previous church that I pastored, we had a copy of our minutes all the way from like, the time of the very beginning of the church in 1880, 1881, when they were starting to form the church. Um, and, and I just learned about this through being on the historical committee, and I looked, and our records, all of that old stuff had been uh, digitized at Wake Forest. And so in decades past, there was a program, basically an agreement with churches within the convention and Wake Forest, that if you will send us your minutes and your records, we will scan them. Now, at one point, they would have been scanned and put on microfiche and microfilm, but a lot of that has actually been updated and digitized. 
And so it may be that your records were lost because the clerk stole them and never returned them, or you had a fire, or nobody knows where they are. Um, it is really worthwhile, even even if you don't find the results of your church, it's worth taking a few minutes and going onto the Wake Forest website and looking at those things. Uh, or if you're close to Winston-Salem, you can go in person as well, but uh, it's really worthwhile uh, to go and, and look at the Wake Forest uh, resources. There's a, a plethora of North Carolina Baptist resources kept at Wake Forest University in their uh, Baptist collection. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that's a nice segue. You can go in person to research many things as well. Um, you can go to Wake Forest. Like I said, they have, I think, 118 churches records scanned. They have records for over 1,000 churches, though. So not everything they have is online, uh, but you can see what they have on their library's website. So you can see, okay, it's there. It's not online, but if I need to take a day trip up to Winston-Salem, um, or, or depending on where you live, it might be more of a day trip. If I need to go to Winston-Salem and check some things out, then, um, then you can certainly do that. Um, other nearby universities, we have a lot of Baptist universities in the state. So Campbell, Gardner-Webb, uh, Mars Hill, uh, I'm sure I'm missing some Baptist schools. Uh, other than Wake Forest, Campbell, Gardner-Webb, and Chowan Wingate. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> if you're interested, Elon, you know, um, has a nice partnership with the Southeastern when it comes to primitive Baptist history. Free Will Baptist at Mount Olive College, um, which is not far from you guys. Yeah, so they have a, a wonderful archive of Free Will Baptists. Um, so you can go in person. Southeastern has a great collection. I was, like I said, I was just talking to Dustin uh, downstairs at the table. Um, personal papers of pastors and missionaries, um, missionaries who may have been affiliated with your church at some point, pastors who may have been affiliated with your church. Um, and also uh, there are non-sort of church-related groups. So, for example, a lot of public libraries have a North Carolina room. And uh, the way that archives and special collections work, a lot of times it just depends on who you know as to whether or not um, a collection ends up in a certain archive. So the person who runs the North Carolina room at the Wayne County Public Library might uh, just have just be a member of such and such church. And so they got that church to donate their records to the North Carolina room. Um, local historical societies um, sometimes collect papers. Like the Southport Historical Society has a lot of records. Um, and, and it's a completely volunteer organization. So they, they do their best to maintain their records, um, but sometimes they make their way to local historical societies. And then there are places like UNCW where I work, where we are not, we're a state school, but we have a lot of church records. We have the records of St. James Episcopal Church, for example, which is the oldest church in Wilmington, and um, a Lutheran church, and then uh, another church that I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. So some church records make their way all over, and sometimes the work of a historian is trying to figure out not only... Um, what you need to look at, but where it might be. Um, you, you, it, it can sometimes be a huge puzzle uh, to say, okay, I, I would like to see the records of the church. Sometimes it might be going to that church. Sometimes it might be asking around town. Sometimes it might be going to a historical society or a university or a, um, a, a public library. You never know. I, would, I did want to point out, if you end up, find yourself a Wake Forest or another library and you want books on local church history, um, the call numbers, I just... Really quick on that one point, put down where you can look for a local church history in, in the general stack. So if you, for example, are looking for a book like this on um, perhaps, you know, you're, you're, you want to see if there's other churches in your community have local church histories, you can go to a couple different places. You can go to the F section of, a, of an academic library. You can go to the BX section. And when you go to those places, you might find other church histories like this out there on the stacks that can be helpful to you. 
Um, so you've got your own material in your church, but you've also got other places you can go look. Other places you can uh, you can try to find material uh, to sort of flesh out the history of your church. Anybody got any questions? Anything they want to ask about? Anything to add? I was going to ask you something about um, number three D. Get um, the biblical recorder online. Yes. I know that those are digitized online only through the year nineteen seventy. Right. Do you have any idea when they'll ever finish up? I can. I know the person who's sort of. Working with that, I can email her and ask. Last time I talked to her, that was part of a grant they got. So they got some money to hire some people to get it digitized up through 1970. I don't know if they've got plans to devote any more money to that beyond uh, what they did with the grant. I would hope so. I, it's, it's, that is another really great resource to be able to just do some keyword searching and find some things out really quickly. So the VR is online where? I mean, just yes, sir. You can get to those. Through the Wake Forest Library website. Yeah. But only through 1970. So um, there's a good good chance your church has mentioned That's it. That's all they have online, but they, they do have records that would go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they, I'm, I'm sure they would have all the hard copies of every biblical reported issue, uh-huh. but they only have them digitized like from 1833 to 1970. Online is actually a digital copy. Okay. okay. That's two yeah. I can search it by people. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a good chance, too, that it might be on microfilm at other libraries. Um, and I can give you my card and sort of maybe help you search that and figure out um, if it's on microfilm. The, the bad thing about microfilm, of course, is you can't do a keyword search. you gotta, and you just got to crank it and go. <laughs> um no one had used our microfilm machine for so long at UNCW that um, people forgot that it cost a dime to use. I don't. I didn't even know we <laughs> it charged for it. And so somebody was trying to use it, and they said, "I don't have a dime." And I was like, "Why do you need a dime? What are you, what are you talking about?" So uh, we're getting a lot of our microfilm digitized, and, and uh, a lot of places are trying to do that. So, um, so sometimes the question comes up: Is we've got this material and we can't take care of it? You know, what should we do? Where should we give it? Um, I would say, just in just in my opinion, places like Southeastern are great. They've got two full-time archivists. They've got several students working there. Um, Wake Forest still takes in material as well. Um, I would, if, I, if again, this is just my advice, and it, it probably is biased because I work at the university. When you move towards giving it to a university like Wake Forest or Southeastern, there's going to be more financial backing towards taking care of your material long-term. Those universities can put in the money to buy acid-free containers. They can put in the money to maintain proper climate control. They can put in the staffing to provide access to your materials. Uh, a lot of local historical societies like Southport are all volunteer. And so it's gotten to the point where some people I know at historical societies like this actually call me and they say, we can't really take this in. Can you take it at UNCW? Um, because they don't have the storage, they don't have the staffing, and they don't have the ability to pay for these things to take care of them long term. So I would just strongly encourage you, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't feel as if you can take, take care of the materials and you want to see them preserved, contact Southeastern, contact Wake Forest. If you're in Southeast North Carolina, you can contact us. That's We're in uh, the Wilmington area. We, we say we serve eight counties. Um, 
so I'm going to, have to name some counties again. I know. <laughs> Bladen, Brunswick, Columbus, Duplin, um, uh, New Hanover, Samson, Oslo, and Pender counties are our counties that we say we serve. Um, so if anybody um, has anything, uh, we're more than happy to, to take in those records as well. I've already sort of touched on what items you should donate. You're talking about what things might be important in those filing cabinets and what things might be things that you could be gotten rid of. We love bulletins. We love sermon. Like if your pastor is left to all of his sermons, uh, those sermon collections can be really um, amazing. Um, we have a few of those at UNCW. We had a lot at my former job at the University of South Carolina, and they were wonderful uh, historical resources. So bulletins, sermons, church newsletters, photographs are always really great. Um, uh, meeting minutes of any boards, church, uh, general church business meetings, deacon meeting minutes. Um, any of those things will, uh, will be things that an archivist would see real value in and researchers in the future will find real value in. Um, one of the great things that we've seen happen at UNCW is the turn towards more students using sources like this. So it's not just, I mentioned who was going to use it in this last part. It's not, gene, not just genealogists, not just scholars, not just general Baptists, but we have lots and lots of students who are now using these as part of class projects, and we've seen a lot of success in reaching out to K-12 students to get them to come in and use the archive as well. So you never know how it's going to be used. Um, I did want to give you a couple of examples, or just a, a couple of things. Uh, to expect, if you do want to donate your materials, I'll pass this around. This is a copy of what's called a deed of gift that uh, gives us that any archive is going to have this. Um, Southeastern is going to have this. Wake Forest is going to have this. That was signed to transfer ownership of the materials so that we have them and can take care of them. So I'll pass that around just so you can see a copy of that. There's a lot of legalese in there, but basically it's an agreement that we'll take care of the material um, and we will um, uh, provide access to it. Archives exist to provide access. And so we want to do as much as we can to provide as much widespread coverage of your materials as possible. And this is a much longer document that shows what might be done with your materials. It's called a finding aid. So this is a, a printout of something that is online, but I at least want to have a hard copy for you to see. Finding aids are, are like once, once you get your thing, your, your collection organized, once you get the folders in order, how do you then go back and find what you need? Are you looking for a bulletin from a certain date? Well, that's going to be in the section on bulletins. Are you looking for sermon notes? Well, that's going to be in the section on sermon notes. So you can see an example of how someone might search this online, but also just have a hard copy in your hands to see how folders are titled and how um, things can be found once they are put in some sort of order. But again, the goal is for it to be used by people in your church, by scholars, by, by anybody, pe- people who might be interested in, in finding out who their ancestors were, then they were members of your church. Um, by students, by anybody who, who might be interested in what we talked about at the beginning, which is just looking back over the history of um, God's work in your community. So, yeah. Um, just, just to say something from our perspective on the historical committee, um, is as you're thinking back on all the things that you have, don't just think about what you have. Think about what you can add. Yeah, good point. Now, we, we might think, you know, I'm going to throw this bulletin away. It, it's not worth anything. But 30, 40 years from now, that event that was prominent then will continue to have prominence. Uh, and so be thinking about not only ways that you can preserve what's already happened in your churches or with an institution, uh, but think, you know, who might want to look at this later? Because uh, obviously, you know, you all are in here now. You have some is- interest in history. 
Um, I, I know for us as a committee, we, we struggle to find people to serve on our committee because it's not the most interesting thing to a lot of people. But we try to encourage churches to say, hey, uh, history is taking place now. Uh, even in the presentation just now, you know, what we're doing now is history. It might not seem like it because we're living in the moment, uh, but that stuff is going to be prominent later on down the road. And so, uh, and once you lose that stuff, you can't get it back. Uh, if you've got the time and the opportunity to acquire things from members of your church, there's uh, this lady at your church, she's kept every bulletin she's ever had, um, and it's her, she died, her family wants to get rid of that stuff. It might be worth you guys putting in an acid-free box somewhere back in the corner, uh, because while your church, you know, it might be 82 years old. Well, 18 years from now, it's going to be 100 years old, and all that history in those 18 years is going to be important when you decide you want to write a centennial or you want to have a multimedia presentation for that 100-year anniversary and homecoming. Uh, so don't just think about the past, but think about the present as well. Yeah. I often say we, we were collecting for people who are going to see all this stuff when I'm long dead. Um, because a lot of the, a lot of the, what people think about history, the 19th century documents and things like that, it's really hit and miss as to whether or not those can even be rescued at this point. Who knows where they are? They might have been, are they already in an archive? Um, we want to really, and I'm really glad Alan brought that up. Yeah, collect for future generations. So. That kind of leads to my question is, I mean, when you've got boxes, and I'm facing this in my own personal mm-hmm. life of now my my parents are gone, and I seem to have, just by where I live, acquired boxes and boxes and boxes of photographs and thinking of the information that's being maintained. How... How on earth do you decipher if you've got the handwritten meeting minutes of every church meeting from in you know when they were first built to ne- I mean how, is it even feasible to keep all I mean it, mm-hmm. what do you get rid of how do you determine what to keep and what not to keep yeah because really some of it is just. I would say, I would say, I just don't. I mean, I'm afraid to even, yeah. You know. I would say, my, my answer to that is always there's a spectrum, and anything that leans towards being evidence of, the, of activity. So, for example, evidence of activity. So, a meeting minutes, meeting minutes are evidence of your church at work. Um, uh, Things where people, um, you know, bulletins are evidence of the work of your church on a weekly basis. Um, Oftentimes we'll get collections that is a mixture. There are um, things like bulletins and meeting minutes. There are also things like clippings that you're not really sure what the context is. And so if there's no context, if uh, you can't piece together a context, and if it doesn't seem like it's evidence of activity of your church, um, then then it can be uh, discarded. That's, that's sort of my general rule of thumb. And it's really tough without seeing a specific collection mm-hmm. to sort of sort that out, but that's kind of how I think about things. And if I can add, um, just from a pastoral perspective, um, I would say probably never, ever, ever throughout any minutes. Um, because, <laughs> I mean, that's the history of what your church has decided. Uh, there may be an issue that comes up 20, 30 years down the road, and somebody says, I know we voted in the business meeting to do this. We haven't done it yet. Uh, well, we don't have minutes for that. 
you've got that coming up, but also I, I just give you a, a quick pastoral example if I can. Uh, the previous church that I pastored, we, we did a major shift of bylaw and constitution. Uh, and part of the language that we were changing uh, was to hopefully lay the foundation towards a, a slight change in polity uh, to moving towards a plurality of elders. And I'm not getting theological here, but we were making that move. And for me as a pastor, a lot of people were saying, well, what are elders? How do we, we, we've got deacons, we've got a pastor. What are elders? We've never had that before. Well, I go back to the minutes to the 1880s, and I say, yes, we did. Uh, we had elders. Now, somewhere along the way, uh, in the middle of the uh, 20th century, we lost that. But this is not a new idea. This is where our church started. And so for me as a pastor, it was very helpful uh, with some of our folks to say, hey, this isn't a new idea. We're just trying to recover what we once had. Uh, and so, but if, if you lost that, you wouldn't be able to reflect back and go to those things. Uh, and so I would say, especially with minutes, um, uh, please don't ever throw away your church. <laughs> um, because it, it, you know, and, and we have those instances now. I mean, in business meetings, obviously we're not going to throw away last month's meetings or, or a couple months ago. But there's a number of times we've had to go back and say, because we've had a good clerk who's taken notes, and someone said, well, what did we say we were going to do? Well, let's look back in the minutes. And uh, it can just prove very helpful, uh, as well as oftentimes, in, and I don't know what your business meetings are like, they do show activity where there'll be a report of, you know, we were going to build a handicap ramp at uh, Miss Susie's house, and then you come back, and it's a month later, uh, we're just giving a report to old business, we built the ramp at Miss Susie's house. Um, and, and that's something to cherish, especially as you come about and you say, um, on a centennial or, you know, 150th anniversary, you can say, We've had this long-standing history of missions. Here's how we. Here's what we gave uh, to Lottie Moon in you know decades ago. So I would just encourage you. Please don't ever throw away minutes. Uh, save those things. Now, some other things you know, like like he mentioned, and those are ultimately decisions that you and your church may have to make to get rid of some things. But there's, to me, I think there's tremendous value in those. And yeah, but an interesting thing that I thought it was interesting. I have uh, years ago get up in the old bell tower painting the bell tower and got the information of the bell. Uh, it's got 1832 stepped on it. Oh, wow. Number 32 or 6 bell. But we recently just took it down on having it refurbished. But in between that time, I, our church was a circuit out of Waynesboro, then it moved to Goldsboro. And Charles Nelson came down from Newburn and started the buggy business, got to Waynesboro and Goldsboro. There was no place to have worship. He started a worship business in his buggy shop. He had a bell that he called his workers to work. So I went up to First Baptist uh, several years ago and I said, I want to know the information on that bell that Charles Nelson used. And they said, so, we don't have any information on that bell. We don't know where it's at. I said, well, I know where it's at, but we're not going to get it back. <laughs> so, so we're in the process of mounting it. Mounting it oh, wow. So I thought that was interesting. That is very interesting. That's great. No discussion where to keep that. <laughs> so once things become digitized, mm-hmm. Do you still keep the original? I would say so. I mean, I, I think that um, an archivist would agree with, with me in that. There are some people who are not archivists who would say, yeah, I just throw it away. But I know you, the originals, and they're unique. You still work to preserve them. 
if, you, if you've got the original, you've got the digital content. The digital content is a means of preservation of the original, really, because then you can display it to somebody and they don't have to access the original. But yeah, absolutely, it's unique material. And, and um, because who knows, a hard drive could crash. A CDs, DVDs deteriorate. Um, CDs deteriorate. 30 years on, it may not be playable. Um, flash drives can, can get erased. You've always got that original if you've worked to preserve it in, in good conditions. And when's the last time you used an egg track? Well, it's been a day or two. Yeah. <laughs> we don't use those anymore, right? And, and technology changes and advances. So what we may have kept on a floppy disk 20 years ago, we're not using floppy disk anymore. And so, you know, you, you think just in the last decade how much an SD card has changed, how they used to be like this, and now there's micro SD cards, and you can get one that's almost like half a terabyte that's this big, you know, and, and so things are constantly changing. So having those would allow you... You know, say 20 years from down the road, we, we as a culture move away from USB to something else. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a tech person. Uh, you've still got those originals to say, hey, we need to go back and make these, put these in another form. So it's yeah. really important to keep those. I, I would think. Thanks, everybody, for your attention, for attending.